of which you in this mixture are so capably doing. That is the bond that ties us together and how we understand and know each other without having met before is because of the fact of this mutual understanding of the gospel. Now having been afforded this privilege of we feel it is indeed a blessing to have been associated with those in this meeting. A meeting where there has been unity of spirit and thought and doctrine. Paul gives us this admonition. It's found in Galatians, the sixth chapter, and the ninth verse. Let us not be weary in well doing. For in due season we shall reap if we think not. That's the thought that I would like to leave with you along that line. While we're talking about these things, we'd like to mention about our Kentucky Bible School. We hold that every year in the month of July. We'd like to send, extend to each and every one of you a cordial invitation to come and be with us if the Lord does not come before next year, to be with us and help us in our Bible school next year. Now, when we come to our end of a meeting such as we've had enjoyed here, there are many emotions that rack our minds. When a meeting draws to the close, those emotions arise from fact that we wonder if uh, we will not, will or will not see some of, or each and every one will not be able to meet face to face again in this life. And many things we call what will rack one person's mind will not another. But those emotions and thoughts will arise. Of course, when we are connected with the truth, then we can look over into the kingdom age. But there is a veneering of these, of this fleshly sadness at a time like this. But underneath this change of sadness, we'd like to consider the adorning of her of a bride for her husband. When a bride, that is the greatest time of their life, of a bride's life. She's fixing to change her name, change her relationship, and with great joy, a bride is adorning herself for her husband. She does not look back with sadness to the family that she is leaving or departing from as we will in uh, a short time but she looks into the future and that's why we could leave, should leave this meeting if we are properly considering this, the truth of the scripture with not much sadness 
but with the fact that we are looking over into the kingdom age, and it should endow us with the proper strength that we can leave here and with the thought that if we do not see each other again in this life, we will be able to meet in the kingdom of God. Therefore, when thinking about this subject that is men announced, the characteristics of the bride, I might say that I feel uh, very humble and might say somewhat out of place in standing here before you attempting to fulfill such an important and necessary duty to exhort you along the line of this wonderful plan of salvation, which is recorded in the greatest of all the books, and especially as we are terming these remarks the characteristics of the bride. And why should I make this statement concerning the humility and so forth? Well, we find these words recorded in Isaiah, the 66th chapter, in the second verse. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. Well, indeed, we do want the Lord to look favorably upon us. So it we must say then that that scripture has a deep meaning it should have to it. And we must realize that if this word is not divided according to his plan and purpose, then there is retribution will be meted out to it. But be that as it may, We'll go along by mentioning the fact that in Second Timothy the third chapter, we have a picture there of the conditions as we visualize them today. And he says that perilous times are come, lovers of place more than lovers of God. And we are admonished from such turn away. For they shall proceed no further. Well, now, as a matter of fact, we are, if we are connected with Christ, we are on a mountain overlooking this chaotic condition which engulfs the entire population of the earth. And we might do well at this time to turn to Colossians, the third chapter, and read the first four verses. And he says, If ye be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. If we have come out of the waters of baptism and left the things of, that doth surround us, we then are to be risen. We are above those things of which we have come out of. And he says, which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. 
Set your affections or mind on things above and not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and we are to be dead to the rudiments of this world. For your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Then that is the condition that we are we are in if we've taken on the name of Christ. We should rise above those things which thus surround us. We might direct our thoughts along the line of consistency of Christ. And we have this testimony as found in John 8:29. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. That was the words of Christ. Now, if we allow ourselves to give due consideration these days in which we are living, and the rapid pace mankind is attempting to establish, and the warning prophecy being fulfilled right before our eyes. And in this present time, those awe-inspiring prophetic scriptures opening before us almost momentarily. It is our duty and privilege to search out the proper category in order that the coming of Christ shall find us prepared to meet the bridegroom. And Proverbs, the 25th chapter, and the second verse reads, It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. That's what we are admonished to do, to search out these things and then properly apply. And we should not speak lightly of prophecy as do the scoffers and the fools, which had said, in his heart there is no God. God did you and he did me. To look at the prophecy as a light that shines in a dark place. That is recorded in 2 Peter, the first chapter in the 19th verse. Brother Lawrence last night set before us the many things that are taking place in the line of the signs of the time, where it, we do well to pay attention to these prophetic scriptures in order that we might direct our lives and take inventory and see where we stand in connection with the plan of salvation. The prophet Amos advises his readers, and that's in Amos the third chapter in the seventh verse, the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secrets unto his servants the prophets, to those that are instructed in the scripture. The future is not wrapped up entirely in mystery. 
with unerring accuracy. Prophecy has foretold the uprise and downfall of the earth's greatest empire. Those things have been called to our attention during this school. And mind you, with equal precision, it clearly establishes through the medium of words the future of the kingdom which now exists. And we might turn to see what is going to take place to, the, to these kingdoms which now exist. And if we listen to Daniel, the second chapter and the 44th verse, we will find out. And in the days of these kings, and that's the kings in the central period of the image which Nebuchadnezzar uh, of his dream, shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and shall stand forever. That's what we are anxiously awaiting. And in the seventh chapter of Daniel, in the twenty-seventh verse, we read, And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom, under the whole heaven, shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. And we also note, we note that in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. And if we, if there ever was a time when the days of Noah fit any period, it does fit the day in which we are living. Marrying and given in marriage, forgetting God. So then it does look like that we are living in the end of Gentile times, doesn't it? The social and political events now transpiring before our eyes are all matters of prophecy. The great unrest that exists throughout the entire universe is not just in one or two little places, but it's in throughout the entire world. The reviving strength of Israel, the growth of the Russian power, the arming of the nations, the widespread unbelief and wickedness, the increase in crime and child delinquency, all of that has to do with the time in which we live. Prophet two affords information concerning the very near future. Before time, very much time passes or lapses, ere long the clouds of God's anger shall burst like an atomic bomb over a rebellious world, preparing for the inauguration and establishment of the kingdom of God. And Zechariah 14.9 tells us, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth, that day there shall be one Lord and his name one. And in Revelation 11, 15 reads in part, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever.
The foregoing is truly a challenge to the world at large. And it's a challenge to you, and it's a challenge to me. And it's also a challenge to the young people. Now this is a challenge to those of you who have not taken on the name of Christ. And we know that Solomon, in Ecclesiastes, the twelfth chapter, states, To remember your Creator in the days of Eve, before it is too late. You too then that have not taken on the name of Christ, and no doubt there are many under the sound of my voice this morning, that might be considering. You then too could leave this place without any sadness, because you could consider taking on the name of Christ and coming and become connected with him. That might make up a part of this bride of Christ. The world is well feel the weight of God's divine anger, and so will we, whether we're in the way that leads unto life or whether we're not, if we neglect this great salvation that is offered to us. And it is vitally important that we not only preach and talk this wonder, the warning prophecy to others, but apply the lesson to ourselves. Now when we entertain the thought relating to the bride of Christ, it'll make a weak mortal creature take inventory of themselves. Truly, we shall find, fully realize our great need for having our robes spotless and clean in every respect. The word bride presents many beautiful symbols, which depict for us the present past of the saints of God and their future glory. No doubt one of the most notable and perhaps the most beautiful likenesses is that which compares the relationship established by God between man and woman. To the love and unity which will exist in due time between himself, the Lord Jesus, and all the saints, or those that are, are will be accounted worthy. Christ is depicted as the husband is found espoused of marriage to the children of God. And the saints are represented as the bride of Christ. Now this parable is capable of a far-reaching development. For an instance, we have the betrothal, or contract, for a future marriage. If we have taken on the name of Christ, we have that promise of a future marriage. Also the marriage supper and so on down the line. 
all playing their part in this most impressive allegory. Now Paul writing to the church at Corinth in the second Corinthians 11, 2 says, and it lays a strong hold on the thought when he has this to say, I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ, or pure in thought and act. And that's why this is so startling to us, because this bride that's to be married to Christ must be pure in thought and in act, or in action. Brothers and sisters, we then in a figure are waiting for our husband to be. And that is no other than Christ our Lord. Because we have the promise that if we are worthy, we can be married to him. When we are in Christ, we have been invited, been invited to the marriage supper. Now that is the marriage supper of the Lamb, as it is described in the book of Revelation. And we should long to hear the glorious cry, Behold the bridegroom come. Now may we visualize ourselves as a bride waiting for the bridegroom, and that is Christ. Are we really and anxiously looking for his return and his appearance? Are we walking hand in hand with Christ? When a bride is prepared for her marriage, she wears a clean white robe or a towel and intensely watches and waiting for the appearance of the bridegroom. Now in the event that Christ should appear through this very door back here, are we prepared to walk down this aisle to meet him? That's a question for each and every one of us. We are someday going to have to meet, but are we prepared now to do it? This thought of the perfect bride is again brought to our attention, our attention in the letter to the Ephesians, where the apostle dwells upon the, the desire of the Lord to present himself as a bride, as his bride, a glorious Ephesians. We would like to turn to Ephesians and read those startling words from the 5th chapter and the 25th through the 27th verse. And we find this. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, 
that he might present it to himself. A glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. And in Second Peter 3.14, we find some other words that's worthy of consideration. 3 and 14. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blame. Now that's what it takes up to make this perfect bride in thought and in action. The figure is elaborated in various places in the scripture. In Ephesians, Paul seems to be quoting from the Song of Solomon, where in chapter 4 and verse 7 of the Song of Solomon, the king praising his spouse says of her, Thou art all fair, my love. There is no spot in thee. Now, if you will allow your mind to consider the picture of the bride that is so beautifully set before us in this Song of Solomon, both as she waits for her Lord, and afterwards, when married, she surveys her dominion with him. You will appreciate that it is her personal adornment in clothing and jewels with her physical beauty which are described in praise. Now this song is parallel in many ways with the 45th song, which also speaks of the king and his bride, in which the bride is exhorted in this fashion as refer, referred to the 10th and 11th verses of this 45th song. Hearken, O daughter, and consider and incline thine ears. Forget also thine own people and thy father's house. So shall the king greatly desire thy beauty, for he is thy Lord, and worship thou him. Those are startling words. Forget thy father's house, what you've come out of, in order that the Lord might praise thee. This beauty in the parable represents the beauty of holiness, even that perfection of character which is required of all the saints. It is the white linen seen by John adorning the bride. To her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Beauty of holiness is not the only aspect of the glory that will be seen in the saints in that day to which we look. 
we know of a certain that they will be a body of organized kings and priests or a kingdom of priests to rule and reign in righteousness. That's what was promised to the children of Israel, that they would be made a kingdom of priests if they would do what the Lord had commanded. We know what took place in connection with, with the nation of Israel, and it's the same with them with you and with me. We can be amongst to make up that kingdom of priests if we will do what is outlined in the Scripture. The twelve apostles will sit upon twelve thrones judging or ruling the twelve tribes of Israel. And at that same instant, each individual saint will take his appropriate place. Some over ten cities, some over five cities, and even over one city. This is the picture when John was privileged to see the bride, the Lamb's wife, as recorded in Revelation 21.9. Her personal beauty is not mentioned, but John sees and says, that great city, the Holy Jews, descending out of heaven from God. Her organization four square and, and person. It is an organized rulership as found in the outstanding vision of the picture. Now this familiar chapter of Proverbs 31, where we read about the virtuous woman, and you all acquainted with that, presents yet another aspect of the same glory. We would like to like to turn there and read at least some of those verses from Proverbs 31 and see what we find. And it, it begins like this. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above ruby. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spore. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant. She bringeth her food from afar. She riseth also while it is yet night and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maiden. She considereth the field and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hand she planteth the vineyard. She girdeth her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good, her camel goeth not out by night. She layeth her hands to the spindle, and her hands hold the distaff. She stretches out her hands to the poor, yea, she reaches forth her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry, her clothing is filled and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. She maketh fine linen and selleth it. She giveth, delivereth girdles unto the merchant. Strength and honor are, are, are her clothing, 
and she shall rejoice in time to come. Here, neither the, the appearance of the bride nor her dominion and authority are dwelt upon, but rather the opposite. For we see emphasized in many different ways the care and the loving concern, the uh, material, the maternal oversight which this faithful wife exercises toward her husband. That's a beautiful figure. It's first natural and then that which is spiritual. Let us just think for a moment that the same attributes will be manifested in all the things towards the person under their hand or jurisdiction in the age to come. Divine teaching and guidance in all things, simple, material, and spiritual, will flow through them to all the world. That's through this bride of Christ. That's where the spiritual part of this comes in. And the familiar scripture comes to our mind as we read as follows from the 72nd Psalm and the 16th verse. There shall be a handful of corn in the earth upon the top of the mountain. The fruit thereof shall shake like a leaven. That's where this bride this faithful bride of Christ is going to administer those things to the entire earth. Before those that under that jurisdiction will call, they will know what they have need of and will be looking after. The fruit thereof shall shake like blood. Also the inhabitants of the earth in that day were fulfilled. This scripture is found in Isaiah, the 30th chapter, and the 20th and 22nd verses. 20th and 21st verses, I'm sorry. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity, and the water of affliction, or oppression, yet shall not thy teachers be removed into a corner any more. Hey, the teachers of Israel have been moved into a corner and burrow. But thine eyes shall see thy teachers of this bride that of Christ uh, that will be made up when he returns. And thine ears shall hear a word behind these things of this instruction of which this bride is going to administer. This is the way walk ye in it when you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left. It's going to be so plain that the wayfaring man, no fool, shall not err therein. And it's a privilege and an opportunity that you and I are extended to us to be amongst those that will help to make up those that are going to administer these things to to the mortal nations of the earth. We must realize there's a time of waiting and watching for her or our Lord. 
This morning the scripture that our brother read from the Song of Solomon, the second chapter. And the broad, broad background of this allegory we have reminded you of. Let us think for a few moments about the aspect more particularly developed from this chapter that was read. The early chapters of the song deal with the period of waiting, the time of separation, the time of tribulation, sorrow and sadness, the emotions of the bride as she waits for her Lord, they are here before us. Those emotions should, therefore, be ours also. If we really love our Lord as she loved her, how does she pass this time of waiting? How does she show her love for her Lord as she looks for his appearance? In the song of Solomon, the second chapter, and the third verse, we shall read, as the apple tree among the trees of the wood, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down under her shadow with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste and to my mouth. Now here, this bride compares her Lord to the apple tree. This translation is rather unfortunate. It should be rendered orange tree. As the apple tree among the trees of the wood, so is my beloved among the sons. The Song of Solomon portion of verse 3. This tree must have been the most glorious of all the trees. And it was certainly not the apple tree. As history informs us that the apple tree did not grow very well in Palestine. It was poor and sunny, and nothing like the tree with which you and I are familiar today. One commentator states, it was the term apple applied by the old translators to any tree bearing globally or round fruit. Apples of gold was the poetic name for the orange in many lands. And it can be easily seen how the word orange is derived from these words. When the picture of the orange is once seen in its natural setting, of which we will attempt at this time to call to your attention. Now the orange tree is the only tree which for a long time bears masses of white blossoms, also its olive green leaves, and its round golden fruit, all at the same time. The Word of God is now part of the life of God's believing saints of two. Their hearts overflow with love at all times and seasons. Or it should. 
the perfect illustration set forth here, or the emblem set forth here, the glorious orange tree with its mass of silver blossoms and its lovely golden delicious fruit, and also a promise of more to come all at the same time. Though the orange tree will yield literally hundreds of oranges each tree, which includes winter and lasts from November to June, yet to the last orange the tree bears as much perfumed blossom as it does fruit. Now we have the scripture as found in Proverbs 25 and 11. A word fitly spoken is like apples or oranges of gold in pictures of silver. The beautiful golden oranges hanging on the tree in the midst of the blossom indeed is a refreshing sight to the thirsty and are compared by Solomon to a word fitly spoken. How like then for the bride to compare her Lord to such a tree, seeing that he was the Word made flesh, testified of himself, the Word which ye hear is not mine, but my Father's which sent me. That's from John 14, 24. How true it was to say of him that all his words were fit to spoke. What did the bride do? She tells us she sat down under his shadow with great delight. Now this is to acknowledge that she dwelt in the shadow of his word. Lived within the past as outlined by this word. But she also says more than that. She says she found it in it a delight to be there. Transfer and transpose this thought to ourselves. We also live in the shadow of the Word when we attend Bible classes, Bible schools, and all the various meetings. Read and I meditate upon the Word at home. Also be in company with brethren and sisters. However, are all these things really a delight to you and to me? Or merely performed as things done in Christadelphian life? Does it afford us real joy to hear the word of truth talked about and expounded? Some you treasure exposed from this word. To be in the company of brothers and sisters who speak of the word of life. Are we happy and content in such an atmosphere and unhappy in any other atmosphere? Those questions we can ask ourselves. But the bride did more even than sit down in the shadow of this tree. She says, that his fruit was sweet to my taste and to my palate. 
told him she was eating of the fruit, wasn't she? And found it delight. We also, brethren and sisters and friends, should have seen the words of God more than necessary to We should find as the psalmist reads, and that they are sweeter also in honey, than honey and the honeycomb. Now we'd like to turn to the 119th Psalm and the 10th verse to call to your attention. With my whole heart have I sought this. Oh, let me not wander from thy command. Here's an exhortation: Not only to live in and love the atmosphere of the truth, but to really make it one's own. That's the exhortation that's given in this song. Now in the next verse, that is from this Song of Solomon, the figure is changed. Instead of a tree, we have a house. And this verse reads, He brought me to the banqueting house. And his banner over me was love. She had been led of the bridegroom in love to his house. Now may we refer along that line to Hebrews, the third chapter, and the uh, sixth verse, which we'd like to call to your attention. But Christ as the Son over his whole own house, whose house are we, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. We know what his house is, even the house of God, which according to 1 Timothy 3 and 15, we would like to call to your attention. 1 Timothy 3, 15. And let's see what we find there. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground or confidence of the truth. Now that's, we, we all now stand in this house. If we are on the way that leads us the life. And the aspect emphasized here is that herein is offered food. That's what a banqueting house is for. You go there for food. Because it's a banqueting house. And that's the sincere milk and meat of the word of God. Or that is, it should be. The bride enjoys, finds comfort and consolation. In the fifth verse of the song she says, 
comfort me with apples, thus she echoes that which we, each one should find true also, that the things of the truth we feed upon, that we should feed upon them, and become to us a strong consolation. That's what they should do. Even an anchor to our soul, both sure and steadfast. Time will not permit us to elaborate on all the figures set before us in this chapter read this morning. So let us just look at one more as we swiftly move on earth to the uh, to the third chapter and uh, we find here in this third chapter of the Song of Solomon we shall turn there and read we have it here before us she sought him but found him not And she's inquiring of the watchman. Saw ye whom, saw ye him whom my soul loved. Now this being the inquiry of the bride from the watchman, I then forms us that these watchmen are always available if we will only seek them out. And in the 62nd chapter of Isaiah, the 6th and the 7th verses, we read, I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day or night. Ye that make mention of the Lord keep not silence, and give him no rest, till he establish, until he make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Here we have in a figure those brethren who have and who are pondering, spending the morning oil, and writing much information concerning the scripture, and are making out for us the signs of our times. They're telling us about it and warning us to keep our garments lest we be caught unawares or walk naked and they see our shame. Are we looking for these watchmen as the bride was? Are we seeking them out, those that are attempting to hold not their peace day and night and proclaim this word of God to us, spending the morning oil to help us on the way to lead to eternal life? If we will do that, they will, these watchmen, will help us to keep our garments spotless. Now why should we at the, at the onset make mention of this talk concerning the prophecy of our time? Why do you think we had in mind to do that? When it was to be based on the characteristics of the Bible. It was to establish the thought of how very near the return of Christ must be. Hoping, trusting, it might cause us to check on ourselves. 
working through this end, that we might improve our character, because the character of this bride must be perfect in action and thought and deed. And to those that are not already connected to these promises, that they would most soberly think on these things that lead to eternal life. And may we inquire of ourselves, see ye him, and the answer stands out in bold type. And may we clearly be, he is not. And the thought that I would like to leave with you, and I do, we do sincerely hope that it would not be the lot of any one of us. But the prophet Jeremiah in the 8th chapter in the 20th verse reads, The harvest is past, and the summer is in, and we are not set. Thank you.